also studying some astronomy in college helped with this perspective of how small are we you know for example I don't have the equation I can't tell you but if I got out of my astronomy book there is a mathematical equation that measures approximately all the grains of sand on earth on all the beaches so they take this square surface area of all the beaches on earth measure approximately how deep the sand goes and calculate how many grains of sand is in all that some like insane number mm -hmm. from what we can observe in the universe there's probably a similar amount of stars oh, in the more universe, stars. or or much more that's kind of what we can observe right? yeah yeah. So, if you, when I'm at the beach, I do this almost every time I'm near sand. I pick it up in my hand, and I let it fall out of my hand like, you know, a little stream, little stream like an hourglass of grains of sand. And you go, those are all just stars. Wow. And you go, we're just on this little spaceship, like, out in, you know, the middle of nowhere in some galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. so those kind of, like... Hello, anybody and everybody. My name is Cody Wilkinson, and welcome to episode 28 of CodyCast 101. Last time I talked to today's guest, he was about to embark on a winter-long road trip exploring what the West Coast had to offer. Multiple months, too many miles, and enough nights in solitude to come to peace with the world and your place in it, listening to his story solidified a road trip of this caliber on my bucket list. As always, thanks for listening, folks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. You can follow me at CodyCast101 on Instagram, and feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so you never miss an upload. Now, without further ado, please welcome back Bradley Hilton. All right. Welcome back to CodyCast101. Today, I've got the first three-peat guest on, Mr. Bradley Hilton. Welcome. Thank you, Cody. Nice. Cheers. Cheers. Got some whiskey and sparkling mineral water. Yeah, whiskey and San Pellegrino, it's essentially like a health beverage. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of alcohol that every every doctor recommends you take. Yeah, for the doctors. Yes. And then the mineral water for the rest of us, really. The spiritual yep. ones yep. among us. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the last time we spoke was in October after the fires. That, yep. was, that was the last time we spoke. And shortly after that, you went on this big long road trip around to 75 states and 120 <laughs> countries so where where all did you go man what, what was why did you go on this trip let's start there yeah i mean it does it feels like ages ago but at the same time i feel like i was just sitting with you here not that long ago That's, same spot right here by yeah. the lake you know, right by the lake. We didn't jump in this time, but no, I did earlier. Nice. Now my shorts are wet. So. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So why did I go on that trip? Um, that fire that we experienced was certainly a motivator. Um, it was kind of an intense experience. You yeah. Know, as I th we, I think we've already talked about. And um, one of the reasons was that there was, <clears throat> you know, a lot of homes that burned in this community. And a lot of people who were needing places to live. And 
me being privileged as I am and mobile as I am, um, I decided to pack up into the camper van that I happen to own at the, this point in my life and move out of this place so that somebody in the community could move into where I'm living Yeah, who maybe needed a place to live or just to you know help things spread out a little bit. So that was a little bit of the motivation. And I also f- just naturally felt winter coming on. And winter for me is kind of always like a spiritual winter as well, you know? Um, and so I do, I know now after years of experimenting that I um, am a much more healthy and like positive person if I can be in the sunshine and like be in the water almost year round mm-hmm. as much as I still love snow and going skiing and powder days, you know? Um, but I knew that I was after that fire and that experience in this community that I, what if I stayed here all winter, I wasn't going to be doing very well mentally, mm. you know, it would have been tough. And so I just decided to pack up and just head out. So yeah. you packed out, you head out and you go where? Yeah. So I actually have a little show and tell here. Oh, sweet. Um, and I can give you a link to this if you want. Yeah. It's kind of cool. So I can post it on my this, Instagram. Yeah, this is, a, <laughs> this is a Google Maps um, of all the places that I camped in my van. And so you can see I left Colorado. Um, all the little blue flags are places where I camped. So I did, um, what did I do? Just well, looks like dipped into Wyoming a little bit. Um, Saratoga Hot Springs, I think, was my first um, stop. And then I went over into... So that's Casper, yep, where yep. I went. He's probably Very close. He's like halfway between uh, here and Casper, which is which is the first stop. And if anybody's if anyone's listening in northern Colorado or southern Wyoming, and you haven't been to the Saratoga Hot Springs, it's incredible. Beautiful water, free, right by the river, so you can jump in this big pool. It's real hot, and it's open twenty four seven. And then you can go jump in the river as well which I think is the North Platte that runs through there. The North Platte runs or, through Casper, I know, and the water that runs through Saratoga is from the same water source that the North Platte goes through. It goes through Alcoba Lake and Pathfinder Lake, and then it keeps going south to Saratoga. Cool, yeah. I'm not sure if that's North Platte or not. Or a tributary, maybe. It's the yeah. same, same water that I grew up in. Yeah, nice. So, so it's kind of it's kind of an untouched spot. It's pretty cool. Um, and it was winter by then. I mean, it was snowing. You know, like it was oh, twenty yeah. degrees in a snowstorm at that point. Nice. And uh, so I went there. Went over to Salt Lake City, and then I drove up into kind of central Idaho, where my uh, little sister lives near McCall, in a town called um, Donnelly, Idaho. Spent a couple weeks with her and had Thanksgiving, which was really good. Um, she's my she's my favorite person in the world, and I love her dearly. Her name's Rihanna. My little Shout sister. out Rihanna. Yeah, my little sister. And so then I cruised over, and I basically, you know, it was still kind of cold, right? And I'm and and in my mind, and in my soul, I'm thinking I need to get to the ocean and go surfing and be in the sunshine. So that's kind of the goal. Right. Okay. But I'm going north and west and it's cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm like researching hot springs, like where am I going to go? And I'm just I'm just in my van, just like you, you know, just like you would imagine, just like it's not exactly roughing it, but it's also 
extremely challenging if you haven't lived in your vehicle for extended periods of time um, not necessarily pulling into like um, designated campgrounds you know where there's all the amenities like you're just out what they call boondocking you know yeah and so it can be pretty interesting so anyway i went into eastern oregon and went to a couple different hot springs ended up in bend oregon which is a beautiful town um, none of us could probably ever afford to live there but it's awesome and there's a really nice river wave there that i surfed for a couple days man-made cool yep and then i drove up to mount hood and then down to um, the Columbia River Gorge into like Hood River White Salmon area, which is on the border of Oregon and Washington. And I started paddling whitewater once I got to that point because I had all my whitewater gear with me. Mm-hmm. And that time of year, it's like just starting to kind of get into winter rain season in the Pacific Northwest. So the whitewater is starting to run. And it was cold and wet and like dark and rainy and which was which was cool. Um, I got I got I got to paddle on some really beautiful rivers there, including on the White Salmon, where they just removed um, a dam like about within the last decade I think. So I got to paddle through this section of river that used to be a reservoir, and see where the dam was removed and see the river ecosystem start to come back alive. Yeah, you know, which was really cool for someone like me who spends a lot of time like on bodies of water and around reservoirs and just part of this whole like water in the west how it's all controlled and diverted and to so, so to go to a place where uh it was that's now like past past that season you know it's like there's a there was a dam it destroyed the environment in that area and now it's been removed and now there's like a river or e- ecosystem coming back mm-hmm. bald eagles and all kinds of beautiful stuff you know? awesome um, and then I headed out to, let's see, I went through Portland, spent a day in Portland. It was pretty incredible there. Um, I've never been before, but obviously that city has seen a lot of action on a lot of fronts recently, right? Especially in the last week, too. Really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it hasn't stopped. Wow. So you could feel it there, you know. Um, I had a great experience there. It was a beautiful sunny day. Um, spent some time downtown. Um, everything was boarded up. You know, you could feel that tension there, but at the same time, you know, for example, the Apple store in downtown Portland is like a huge, like half a city block, like three stories tall, like massive wow. thing. It was totally boarded up and on, and painted on all the wood that was there was massive, beautiful murals, like just abundant art. Wow. Just everywhere where anywhere there were shops were boarded up, there was beautiful murals like that people had spent time on, you know, so you can kind of see the pain and you can see like the turmoil and like the tension. And then you can also see like this joy and this art and like this expression at the same time. That yeah. was my experience in Portland in 2020. Interesting. Uh, I think that pain and beauty are two sides of the same coin and that when you go through pain you get more beautiful on the other side to stick with the wording and the metaphor but i mean you any like tortured artist you know like um when uh new york city was going through the worst parts of the pandemic there was some comedians that were saying oh new york's back baby it's getting gritty 
it's gonna be wild because all the ritzy people are jetting out of there and it's everyone's vacating it and it's just kind of descending into a little bit of what humans potential what humanity's potential uh yeah and you it's it's just it's cool to see that uh people are making the best out of a kind of crappy situation out there right and i would expect that with the northeast because there's a lot of artists that stick around in the northeast right yeah for sure it's a very i don't want to say liberal that is yeah, northwest like northwest yeah northwest but the yeah. northwest is the people there are surrounded by these forests how can you not be environmentally and, and like conscious and in tune with nature and what's going on with ecosystems and, and and all that fun jazz yeah and i've been to mount hood like five times for ski camps swam in the hood river in the salmon river which is the coldest water that i ever swam in mm -hmm. and beautiful beautiful places mm -hmm. so i'm a little familiar with that area yeah yeah it's cool i thought for a long time that maybe i would like be able, wanted to live like near hood river mm -hmm. because of the white water and because in the summer there's uh a lot of wind in the columbia river gorge so there's a lot of like wind sports like downwind paddling is really epic there i don't know if you've seen what that's known. all about but like What's that um, about? you know this happens um in river gorges and it happens like on on coasts as well when the wind blows really hard for days and days um wind swell starts to build and you can go aim yourself get out into the wind paddling like on a i do it on a paddle board or you can do, people do it on outrigger canoes or surf skis or kayaks or something you know, like yeah that. similar and uh you basically start paddling and the wind swell um, generates waves that will crest and break and crest and break on the so, river on the river so in the river gorge it's actually the wind's blowing inland up the river so which actually makes the waves oh. that it creates a little bigger because it's going opposite of the current yeah so you are paddling up river but the wind's blowing you like pretty hard you know like cool. like gale force sometimes and then when you and you as you start to paddle into that and read as read the waves as they build and fall you can start to catch them and actually glide like you're surfing up for river. hundreds of yards up river yeah wow or on the coast it would be you know just wherever direction the wind's blowing yeah and it's a pretty cool experience i've done it in a couple different places wow so anyway i thought you know the part of this trip is is me just out there soul searching you know just looking for answers like a hero's journey kind of thing you know all been there <laughs> you know and uh i'm always on that but you you feel like you're really on it when you're heading west because of you know that's just the natural inclination Chasing sunset yeah exactly yeah. so um, um just a small interruption yeah uh, the ancient greeks used to say that the underworld was as far west as you could go so i like that west coast people you live in the underworld yeah essentially yeah yeah it's kind of it seems like it's kind of merging in some spots you know yeah you can see that yeah that's a cool little, little dissension in the oh that's cake all right so back to your story so so anyway i decided when i was there which was in 
you know, beginning of December, I think, that it probably wouldn't be a good place for me to spend the winter time. <laughs> you know, it's not sure. that warm. It's pretty cold. So I kept cruising and let's see, where, did I get, where were we at? I went out of Portland and I went up to the border of um, Washington, Oregon to a town called Astoria, which is beautiful. Like it's like kind of built up into the hills and a lot of Victorian homes and just like misty and foggy and like, you know, kind of nautical theme down by the, where the river meets the sea. Pretty mm -hmm. neat. Yeah. So that was as far north as I went, which was that, which was the very north of Oregon. And then I just went on highway one all the way down, just in no rush at all. Just driving maybe two, two to three hours max per day. Cause that was kind of like, that was it Yeah. for me. You know, I kind of like to travel slow. Okay. Um, so I was just traveling down the Oregon coast and just exploring and just sightseeing and ultimately wanting to go surfing. However, if anybody pays attention to like, you know, winter swells or surf seasons, last winter was huge on the West coast, huge in the Pacific. So for example, the big wave spots on the West Coast, like in Northern California, one that's called Mavericks, that I'd suggest looking up on YouTube and watching videos. It's a, it's a, um, it's a big wave spot that near Half Moon Bay, um, Northern California, that they will bring like you know big wave surfers in for competitions whenever the wave gets big. Cool. And it was going off for like weeks, you know. So there was people there like weeks straight surfing big waves. So for me, especially not being in surfing shape, um, meant that I didn't get to surf at all in the whole, the, down the whole Oregon coast. Cause everywhere I went, the waves were just huge. Like it was just nasty, like really dangerous, in dangerous, intense. Maybe if I had been in better shape and was with somebody to paddle out to a spot where there was a wave breaking that was a little bit more manageable, I could have done it. But I just like drove down the whole Oregon coast just in the van. It was raining, not, not surfing at all, you know, which was a little bit tough. Um, a lot of days, you know, a lot of days alone. Um, so I kept driving down and paddled a little bit more white water along the way down. I'm just looking at my map here. Um, once I got into California, I started visiting a couple friends. Um, I have some friends in um, Arcata, California. Um, JB and Nancy Breidenbaugh and they are they are like old school whitewater kayakers who were like part of the first wave of whitewater kayaking in like the 70s and 80s when it first yeah. started taking off and they actually lived in Hawaii for several years and then they opened one of the first stand-up paddle um, shops in Colorado called Littleton Paddleboards Altitude Paddleboards in Littleton so I got to visit with them Cool. and uh Kept cruising down. I visited some family um, in Chico, California, which is a great place. I went to San Francisco for the first time. The streets of San Francisco were empty because they were at that time kind of on a, you know, a little bit more of a strict lockdown. And it seemed like a lot of people could had kind of left the city mm -hmm. by that time. So I pulled in, parked somewhere and decided to get like a day pass on like the bird scooter, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And I just ripped those scooters around the city for like 12 hours on like empty streets. Wow. Like there was, it was just, it may have been a Sunday when I was there, 
and there was nobody there's like very little traffic to where i could just be on the little electric scooter just ripping around through the hills and like it would die and i would throw it down and grab the next one and keep cruising around <laughs> you know that sounds so like, that was pretty neat that sounds like a adult's playground yeah right. you just get to ride around on a scooter all day and yeah explore an entire city yeah so my hometown that i grew up in casper is larger than san francisco wow yeah spread out that's that's a scale for you so san francisco is only on like the proper san francisco is only on that one big hill in the middle right i don't know i don't know where the city limits are but like it's not that big yeah so it's pretty built up you know um for if for if i'm right like my what i'm familiar with the san francisco city limits at least like the square footage is less than casper Mm -hmm. and i just think that's a funny factoid that 60,000 people occupy a space that however many million people do. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, I also want to like, just tell you like, obviously this is pandemic times, right? Yeah. Especially last winter. And so it's a hard decision to just go out and kind of travel around, you know? Um, the hard part was that I wasn't able to really just pull into the next town and like go to the brewery or whatever and just like meet people and kind of hang out for the evening. Like that wasn't happening. That wasn't an option, you know? Yeah. I was like going to into a grocery store once a week somewhere and usually like early morning so that there wouldn't maybe wouldn't be very many people around and, um, and stocking up on groceries. And then I was pretty much just outside on the beach or hiking or in the van, you know? Um, so it was definitely pretty isolating um but i just want to say like i did try to be sensitive to any local like people that would be worried about somebody traveling through their town during that time you know of course um when i i went i was i did my main road trip when i started this podcast last summer in the yeah the pandemic. so very similar very similar because yeah. i mean every stop i had was family and friends to crash with yeah so the isolation wasn't nearly to the degree that you experienced but um no matter how anti-max or anti-mask or anti-vax you are it doesn't matter like just be respectful of people's towns and you're an outsider traveling from outsider location to outsider location the potential for you to have a very high R value in your spreading of anything is much higher than any normal person in any normal circumstance. Yeah. So good on you for being conscious about that. And just yeah. Respectful. I mean, I was it's still respectful. out there. I was still out there and did it, but I was certainly wasn't trying to demand services or places I went or, yeah. you know, I was trying to be as respectful as possible. Not, I'm personally not, um, I don't have fear about the about COVID um, or anything going on. Um, not concerned for my own health. I think that my own uh, immune system is strong and wise and can take care of whatever you know. So I'm not too concerned about myself, but I I'm certainly don't want to put anyone else at harm. Yeah. You know? So that was that was kind of my outlook at that yeah. time, right? As I'm traveling. Um, so where else did I go? I kept, I mean, I was on the one, so it's like, you know, a lot of times two lanes and really windy and, you know, cliffs everywhere. Cliffs and like, I mean, it's gorgeous. Yeah. You know, 
lots of beautiful places. I'd love to go back and do a lot of stretches of it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely on the bucket list is a highway one road trip. It, yeah. Do from, it from border to border. Yeah. You know, that'd be a lot of fun. Yep. Start in like November in San Diego and then end it with skiing in Vancouver. Oh, nice. That's almost like a backwards way to do it compared that's, to, compared to I mean, what I did, but that's yeah. cool. Yeah. There's an idea for anybody. That's like great. That. That's definitely cool because they can end it once the ski season is kind of getting going. Of it. Yeah. It's yeah. cause that's when you'd arrive. That'd be, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. That is a good idea. Don't steal it, man. It's my <laughs> idea. Yeah. I'm going South for <laughs> sure. So yeah. So where do, I mean, I spent, let's see, you know, I spent some days in Santa Cruz. I'd never been there before. I had some epic mountain biking, um, found camping right near the ocean there. Just like I said, boondocking, which essentially is like trying to, you know, find a pull out somewhere. Or sometimes if you're in a bigger town, like a quiet street where there's, um, maybe not a lot of houses occupied and it's like you can tell maybe not a lot of people are home in that neighborhood but that's looks there's a flat place to park and you can kind of park without you know a lot of traffic nearby or whatever or like worrying about vandalism or <coughs> yeah any like dangerous suspects rolling up on you and poking around yeah i'm almost i was almost never i was never concerned concerned about that by the way out of for who knows how many nights over a hundred in the van in different spots never was woken up never had one issue the whole time good to know just for just for anybody who's you know feeling unsure about traveling or is scared of people being you know messing with you out there outside of your comfort zone i had zero issues i was like sleeping in my van all over the place yeah nothing yeah you know which is awesome but i keep it on the down low you know like in my van i have a um, I've got, I've got a lot of windows so that I can see while I'm driving or so that it's a nice place, space to be in. But I have like these magnetic insulated coverings that go up on all the glass with black on the outside. So it's totally, I can have all the lights on and be cooking and listen to music in the van. And if you go outside and shut the door, you can't see any light or anything. Nice. Even if you shine a flashlight, it's just black so it looks like just kind of a lightly tinted window yeah you know nice so that was cool that makes you feel a little bit more comfortable because i can pull in somewhere and scope it out and be like i think i'm good here like there's no signs that say i can't park maybe i'm under a street lamp just in the event that no one's going to try to steal the vehicle or whatever um put all the window coverings up and just shut it off and be quiet you're good no problem you know yeah um let's see went kept going down i started surfing just north of santa cruz and in santa cruz and so that was that was really nice to start being able to get in the ocean um spent a bunch of time in santa barbara which i really loved as anyone can understand who's been there it's a beautiful city i don't know if you've visited i've got family up and down the california coast yeah so i've been to la and san francisco and many spots in between mm -hmm. not often and it's been a while but yeah i've been there yeah it's cool man santa barbara is beautiful um and so that was just that was just after the new year um 
Dude, I couldn't even tell you where I spent New Year's, you know? Like, alone somewhere. No, I was going to say, oh, you were fucked up somewhere. Let's see. Oh, wait. Here we go. Let me me check it out. There it is. 1231. This is the location I was at. It looks like I was... Where is this? Canyon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can- Wait. Um, Cayucos Beach, hmm. which is a tiny town um, just north of Morro Bay. And I was like way up on the way up on the hill above this huge reservoir, Whale Rock Reservoir. That's where I was. That was a great camp spot now that I look at it. Yeah. It was super cool. I think I probably watched Sunset, you know, down on the beach or on the pier kind of alone. And then and maybe people watched because there was certainly some people out especially around that time. Yeah. And then I drove up there and I remember it being just gorgeous. It's awesome. Man. So then I had, t- at that point I had 10 days basically before I turned 30 years old. Right. Oh, wow. So this is, that's, that's kind of a big yeah. age. I, I wasn't really ex- like, I had no expectations. I don't really like, I don't really put that much weight on age, but I had a plan to go down and visit another friend in Ojai, California, which is just like, in the hills outside of Ventura and Santa Barbara and go on a uh, backpacking trip to the a place called the Sespe Hot Springs. So we did that and 17 miles each way Wow! to get in. And then there's these incredible hot springs, bunch of really, really, really hot water coming out of the rock, like the side of this canyon. And then it flow, it creates a creek, um, because there's so much water flowing out. And then down this valley, there's probably um, 15 to 20 different like little hot tubs kind of built out in the creek that people stack rocks and kind of make every season. Cool. And there's palm trees. This is like deep desert in, um, what is it, Los Padres National Forest. Deep desert, like very dry, very b- beautiful, um, really rugged. And then you get out there and it's like, hot spring oasis with palm trees and grass and stuff damn it was amazing yeah america has such a diverse geological landscape it's amazing incredible it's amazing coast to coast unique things that are only found in this country absolutely very lucky to have to be here Mm mm-hmm and it's awesome to just have this be our backyard, you know, essentially. That's like within a day's drive if you want to drive through. You know, it's yeah. not that bad. So that was awesome. Um, I turned 30, and I wasn't put – again, I wasn't putting any weight on it. But after having that experience and kind of making – and doing something really intentional with somebody who is my friend Heath Perry, um, who's – he's like a, one of my – great friends and mentors that I'm really, I'm really looking forward to spending more time with as I age. And he spent a couple days with me out in the desert and kind of showed me around. And he's like, he's like, he's a health guru and just an all around awesome guy that I respect a lot. And so got to spend that intentional, intentional time with him and turning 30 and then kind of letting it set in and like reflect a little bit. And I'd have to look back in my journals. Um, but I think I remember, thinking, all right, 30 years old and just feeling really grateful for everything that I, for the cards that I've been dealt, basically, you know, like the life that I've landed in and the different experiences I've had and the different communities that I belong to. And turning 30 was more, was 
I remember having the realization of just like, hey, it's pretty good. Like you have it pretty good and just just keep digging into what you have, you know, because sometimes in moments of despair, I'm sure you can understand you feel like starting from scratch, you know, <laughs> sometimes, yeah. sometimes you're just like, I need something new or this isn't working or I'm not happy and I need to just leave and start from scratch. Like I just need to totally reinvent myself. Yeah. And I had the feeling of like, no, like keep, keep pushing your comfort zone and pushing your edge. But like the roots, the communities that I have, you know, including this one here. Absolutely. Um, that's good stuff. And to keep digging into that and like, you know, yeah. So, uh, through college, you kind of go through this cycle of ending beginnings and endings every year with moving in and out of your dorm room. <clears throat> and it's a really ritualistic process yeah. where you walk in on day one, you get your code for your dorm and you, you walk in there and you're like, okay, this is my spot. I got a year of memories to make in this spot, you know, and you set it up how you want and you decorate and rearrange the furniture and, Make it, make a little home for yourself for about like eight months mm-hmm. or so, nine months maybe, and then end of the year rolls around and that it's over now. So you, now you got to pack everything up and you gotta you gotta once you get everything out of your room, you kind of walk back through the room and it's completely trashed because you've spent a year in there mm-hmm. and nobody's cleaned it. But you kind of just take a little circle and you're like, all right, this is it. I'm never gonna. Be maybe be in, but never gonna live in this room ever again. And yeah. it's it's such a harsh ending to a year. But I always really look forward to the transition because it felt like I could leave the last year behind. Totally. Any mistakes or regrets that I may have, I can say, okay, that was sophomore year. Now I'm going. Yeah. Now I'm a junior. Yeah. Now yeah, it's yeah. a fresh start. You know, I can. Uh, I can kind of try new things and and just have a different year. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and like a clear, clear definition between what uh, where you came from and where you're going. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was so just it, a really so it doesn't symbolic. it doesn't just run together for yeah. Because sometimes you look at you look at somebody who's been in the same situation for decades or whatever and it all just blurs together and Mm -hmm. and you're like you need to get some like you need to get some you know chapters in this thing so that you can (laughs) so you can end and begin and end and begin yeah it does it does help especially as you're growing up it really helps process stuff Mm -hmm. and like because you can say oh this happened to me sophomore year and then you can apply contextual things about your sophomore year as to why this happened or why you were thinking like this at this time yeah and with like older people they'll try to tell you a story and like oh was it 1978 or 1979 god i can't remember and or 84 and 62 or whatever the time gap is you know like you got somebody in a job for 30 years yeah you know, that's they earned their keep and they're retired now and they worked hard, but like the monotonous 
year after year, same thing after same thing, thing. Uh, if you, that's what you like, then all the better for it, mm-hmm. you know, because you're doing what you like, day in and day out, year in and year out. But if you're not one of the lucky few, then I feel like it's really easy to let your life slip away without really noticing and yeah. then all of a sudden you're 55 and you're like, what the hell have I done with the last 25, 30 years of my working life? Yeah, maybe. I'm not where I want to be. So I think having these chapters, like you mentioned, where you, things can end and begin and end to begin is a really beneficial thing to have in yeah, one's life. it's and cleansing. It's cleansing, yeah. And that's kind of like the seasonal cycle as well. Mm-hmm. But I'd have to also say that for example, I've been here working at the at Grand Lake Marina for almost 15 years. Not wow. not straight the whole time, but you know, I've been at this job for that long basically. And have felt jaded in the past, but currently feel more grateful and it feels almost more fresh than any time before. Cool. And that it has to do with a lot of my my own personal growth. Yeah. You know. And just keeping fresh eyes on every single day and just appreciating where you're at. And um, so if you're taking care of yourself, you can certainly be in, in one spot for a long time and, and, and enjoy it. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things that I've noticed about being an adult and like coming of age in the last five, six years or so is so much of your life is how you think about your life. Yeah. So if pretty much all of it, (laughs) very arguably all of it. Yeah. Um, and I've definitely talked about this in the pod before, but our head coach from football, uh, Chesney drilled this into us as he was building and defining what his team's culture would be. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of the pillars of that culture is, uh, fake it till you make it. And it's such a cheesy phrase because I think it's been watered down and like used in too many different contexts. But when you just apply the words fake it till you make it to a situation that you don't like, because that's the key. So like the message he's trying to send is when it's raining and it's 50 degrees and it's Thursday and you don't want to practice hard because the game's on Saturday and you've already work so hard throughout the week well if you take saturday off you're losing sun you're losing or if you take thursday off you're losing saturday you can't take thursday off so what do you have to tell yourself to not take thursday off when you want to take it off you just in your brain you just pretend like this is the greatest place in the world so like the football field the practice field was disneyland for yeah. us so it's a, every single tuesday my junior year it rained without fail from august camp to november playoffs it was insane so we didn't make the playoffs but (laughs) last last game in november and we had to tell ourselves we're going to disneyland today and it's going to be the best day of our lives i can't wait for practice today because i'm going to have so much fun and we're going to get so much better and it's going to be awesome and no matter and whether or not that was true or not that's what you told yourself yeah and then Lo and behold, the next year, when we're going to practice, that's already our mentality. It's like, we love practice. We love going to practice. And when you love practice, 
because if you're a football player, especially in college, you're working seven days a week for a goal. Well, only one of those days of the week during a 12-week period, you get to actually compete and reap the fruits of your year-long labor. So fake it till you make it, man. Like I, And then you apply that mentality to things that suck in real life like any sort of depression you may be going through and anxiety you can apply this mentality to or like this is just the best day ever and look at the sun and look at those trees and look at that bird god i love look look how look how amazing life is and you just tell yourself this when you're you're most miserable and you'll find a smile comes on your face and you won't realize it until it's there mm. and then you just build on that feeling and it allows you to climb out of some of the holes that yeah you might find yourself in and yeah, I, i've sure. definitely used it nice that's a good lesson so thanks Chez. yeah that's a solid culture to build for sure yeah that's awesome in a uh in a harsh segue yeah. Actually, no. Let's let's uh, should I continue up, on this? Let's finish up the the trip. I mean, we <laughs> got we got thousands of miles left, <laughs> but we can you can segue any time. Okay. So, what did I do? Let's see. So I got off. You know, I turned thirty. I got. I went backpacking. I bought my first backpack, which was oh, awesome. And I've cool. I've used it since. Just left out of this living room here, and went into Rocky Mountain National Park yeah. and just camped for the night. You know. So I got my first backpack in. I want to say February-ish, and in March, my buddy Cole stole it, and it's been in Colorado Springs for the last oh, four months. Cole. You bastard. Send it in the mail. Oh, he's going to be up this weekend, so I'll get oh, it back yeah. finally. <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, so excited to get this new backpack that I could, like, do shit with, and it's much better for, like, skiing with a backpack on, because you yeah. can actually cinch it around your, your waist and your chest. Yeah. And right after i got it i couldn't use it anymore for like four months so i'm excited to get it back <laughs> but nice i segued now move on. Uh, now yeah continue. nice well let's now go continue. backpacking together for sure man for sure yeah. so next was you know i went down into uh, north county san diego which i used to live um near encinitas and spent a couple of days there kind of prepping to go across the border right so i'd never driven down into mexico before uh, but my goal was to go down into Baja. So did a little bit of prepping, which was basically just like buy more food and um, get my passport out. I, don't, I don't, didn't really do much, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I decided to cross the border from California into Baja in um, Calexico and Mexicali crossing, which is kind of inland. It's not through Tijuana. Uh, it's over here more somewhere and so i went over there to cross right there mexicali huge agricultural valley right there clearly yeah yep. you can see the and we're just on a satellite map but it's like brown green brown yep and that's the colorado river delta i mean there's not really this is a delta just below well almost to the delta yeah like the salton sea which is old you know colorado river that's a pretty interesting story yeah. if you look up the story of the salton sea and then it's agricultural and the Colorado wow. River comes out right in that corner. That's but, a delta. Yeah, that's the delta. I did not man. That's know that where was the mighty delta. Colorado goes, which we're sitting at the headwaters of right now, but it doesn't reach the sea anymore. You know? 
there was once, I think, you know, five to eight years ago where uh, Mexico and the United States, like, coordinated to let, like, a pulse flow of water go down the Colorado to the sea, which it hadn't reached in decades. And, like, a, you know, a bunch of life bounced back, like, immediately. But it, the water, the, the river is just totally dried up before it even gets to the sea, you know. That's crazy. Yeah, the southeast United States is at 37% capacity for water. 40 million people are at 37% water capacity. Yeah. For them. And they, all of that comes from Colorado. Yeah, we're, we're using more water than there is, essentially. So, it's, yeah. That's a different story almost. One but. might also say that our practices are unsustainable. True. One, one might go as far as yep. to say that. Bradley. Certainly. So I, I drove down first night in Baja, made it all the way to the Sea of Cortez, camped under a little palapa, which is, you know, just like a, you know, four, you know, wooden poles with like palm fronds over it. Just a little shade structure, okay. you know. So now I'm in Mexico and now I'm starting, now I'm having to, you know, habla espanol at any opportunity I possibly can. And... I, let's see, what did I do? I can't even believe all the things I did, but I'm skipping over a lot. But I had to haul ass to get all the way down to Baja Sur to La Paz. I did it in like four days. And because I was meeting my some of my family down there in La Paz, my stepsister, my older stepsister, Erica, and her husband, Warren, um, are sailing essentially around the world at the moment. Wow. And they had their sailboat um, docked in La Paz which is in Baja Sur on the Sea of Cortez side. And I was going to meet some family down there, my dad and my stepmom, to go sailing for like a week. Yeah. So I drove all the way down there, parked the van, and hopped on their sailboat for a week. And we just went out onto the um, some islands down here. There's a big island outside La Paz, um, Spiritu Santo, um, right here. Yeah. Spirit, Spirito Santo, and there's, I mean, it's just insane beauty, like desert landscape, beautiful beaches, and this, and that's really kind of harsh and like dry rocky. and rocky and like, but so beautiful at the same time. And then sea life is just abundant, like wow. just dolphins and sea lions and beautiful fish and like all kinds of, um, all kinds of birds. And it was like, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, so I hauled ass down there and went sailing for about a week. Like, I'm so lucky to have that opportunity. And then I stayed down here in Baja Sur um, for a couple months. Um, there's a town on the Pacific side called Todos Santos that I really kind of fell in love with. And it's, again, it's an agricultural zone. And tons of beautiful, like, art and music and architecture and... Um, lots of good lots of good food it's a pretty small town and it swings way above its weight for like great restaurants with like legit chefs and like Hell yeah. it's awesome tons of adventure down there um and spent a couple months i, I stayed in two different houses rent one i rented one was just i was like house setting for some people that i met down there cool. who, are, who are from fraser cool and uh very cool and so I was extremely lucky. I definitely see myself going back to Baja Sur, if yeah. not this winter, then the next winter, or who knows when. But it's a beautiful Winterly, spot. Yeah, maybe, maybe. You know, it's awesome. The dream's alive. It's beautiful. 
Um, there wasn't a lot of like visitors down there, so maybe it, it was a little bit um, like less populated than, than normal. Been. But I don't know. I'm not sure. It seems Did that make it? Sorry. Do you think that enhanced or diminished the experience you had? Enhanced. I would also say enhanced. Yeah. But yeah, enhanced. Some people like the the like bustling and like clubby ish like meeting people from all around the world in a place like that you know so i like that and i did meet people from all around the world yeah i Can really you list did some countries states um real quick yeah i mean germany um certainly australia um argentina definitely a lot of canadians um italians americans of course because it's so accessible um, a lot of a lot of Mexicans from the mainland are traveling over to Baja Sur because it's kind of like it's a different culture, you know, sure. it's its own thing. Well, different cultures exist within the same states in America, you know, like New Jersey, yeah, uh, is basically the bridge between Philly and New York City. So northern Northern Jersey is New York suburbs. So you got the New York accent, mm -hmm. right? And then southern uh, Jersey's like Jersey Shore, mm -hmm. like uh, Philly, mm -hmm. and uh, I had people from both ends of the spectrum at Holy Cross with me. And it was super interesting to see how these people are from the same state, but they act and look and behave completely differently than that's amazing than they would. Like if I was like a Wyoming kid from Casper, Gillette, Laramie, Jackson Hole, we all. We're all kind of Wyoming. Yeah. You know, those are very different places in Wyoming, but it's still Wyoming. Yeah. And there's but, still very clearly a, a culture that's set. In yeah. Just but amongst a, a, a group of you, someone from the outside's not really going to be able to tell you apart the yeah. way the way that you act yeah. or speak or whatever. It's going to be pretty much like those are all the guys from Wyoming. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I had a great experience down there. I'd highly recommend anyone visit Baja Sur. Awesome mountain biking, great food, surf depending on the season, um, sea life. It's it's killer. It's very yeah. cool. The dreams alive. And I was just you know, just driving around the desert in my van. It was pretty killer. Yeah. So um, you yeah. said the dreams alive twice now. Yeah, the dreams alive. What's the I dream? think? I think what I'm talking about when I say that is like. Um. I feel like traveling around, or I feel like life in the United States, or maybe more connected spots, are like, there's too much, you know, I'm, we're on our phones, we kind of get in this habit of like, having expectations, or like, um, there's so much available to us, we know we're going to be able to drive to the next town, there's going to be gas and food, and like all this stuff provided, and um, this, that kind of takes away some of the sense of adventure because you're just always just like held in this like safe cocoon of like Western society of like, you know, yeah, it's, everything's just kind of there at your fingertips. Yeah. It's made us lazy right. and complacent right. right? and a lot of different words. Yeah. So I think when I say the dream is alive is like when you get down into the Baja, depending on the way you're driving around, you could drive for days or hundreds of miles without seeing the next gas station, you know, and not coming, not coming across like a, you know, 
a solid grocery store. So it's like you're pulling into a little village and like using whatever communication skills you have to like talk to the fishermen to get some food, you know, or like go stop cruise by the farm or the farm stand to like get some produce. And like, it's just much more because of the rural aspect of it. And just because of less, it's less developed, yeah. it's much more like interactive. Like you feel like you're interacting with the world and life more. You don't go to a Safeway self-checkout thing. Exactly. You got to go to a produce stand and try to struggle through your Spanish sure. to get a banana. Sure. Uh, I'm looking at the map here mm-hmm. and it looks like from the border of Mexico and California to the tip of Baja, sir, looks roughly half the length of the entire West Coast. Yeah, I don't. I it's a thousand. It's it a thousand down. miles down for a sure. Thousand plus. miles. And if you know, and then if you crisscross and dr- explore yeah. a little bit, it's a lot more. Wow. Yeah. So you're I, pretty I didn't far. Know I so I always pictured a little like uh, spur at the end of California, like that west coast of mexico i always just kind of pictured this little tiny sliver Mm -hmm. and it's a thousand miles long yeah i it's awesome i did not know the scale of that and living in colorado like if you like i felt like it was a natural progression like if you just drive like towards the ocean and like towards the warm weather you eventually end up in baja <laughs> from, from here, California. yeah, yeah. From from we'll Colorado or from river. California, like you just follow the river, and it's just this natural thing, and it wow. felt very natural, you know. Yeah. Like oh. the, all the bird life and all, you know, all the birds migrate down south there, and like they're all doing their thing, and you know, I'm a yeah. I'm essentially a snowbird now, so okay, <laughs> okay, it's your spirit animal. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things that I noticed and was actively looking for during my road trip, uh. And I see the book right there, Graham Hancock. And I know we've probably talked to him about him before, but one of his theories is that there was this great flood from the last great ice age where there was this giant glacier lake where when that ice dam broke, this enormous lake the size of Canada flooded the entire American plains. And This was as the ice sheet was receding, kind of? So 12,000 years ago was when the last ice age ended and we emerged into this 10,000 year period of climate stability oscillating between one and negative one degree Celsius. Yeah. That was our oscillation for 10,000 years. We're done with that. We're done with that. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But before that we were in an ice age and their theory is a asteroid impact broke up this ice age, but the the point of like the the evidence that they have for this is in the Pacific Northwest and the Great Plains of America, you can you go over and it's just these rolling hills that are just there, right? And then picture these like and these rolling hills are a few hundred feet tall, few thousand feet long, etc. Um, now picture you're very familiar with the ocean and lakes and beaches. So you stand, you walk into a beach that hasn't been touched in a while and you're, you're like six inches to a foot deep in water. What do you feel on your feet? What's, what, what's the sand like when it's sediment ripply when the, when the waves are coming through and you're like on really shallow water, what is the sand shaped like? It's like 
it's got these ripples on it. Sure, right? yeah. These okay. little like small little hills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the waves going over it. So the theory uh. is you have that same principle scaled to hundreds of thousands of miles, and you the result is these giant hills. Mm. From Whoa. this massive flood that came through. Oh, which is where waves are going and sediment is like settling down. And yeah, I don't know the physics. Those of are it. like the crests of waves, yeah. essentially. You know, that's yeah. exactly what it is. But it's emerging on the sea floor. Yeah. So you take this enormous flood through the entire Great Plains of America, and then it settles and wherever. But the result is these giant rolls. So as I'm going from the east coast to the west coast. I'm trying to notice these rolls, and once I got to, um, once I got past Illinois, um, west of the Great Lakes, and then to Montana, that that gap right there, I was just going over rolls, over, and I was like looking for it. And I'm hmm. like, Jesus Christ, these guys might have a point. I mean, wow, that would be it. It's it's something that I want to be true, just because it's awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. And it. The earth is just so cool. Yeah, it really is. There, There's just no other way to describe it. I mean, yeah. And that's why I feel so passionate about the things that I'm passionate about and, and the environmental aspects of things. Mm. I mean, what could possibly be more uh, valuable than the interstellar home we have? It's It's everything. So lucky to be here, you know? I think we're lucky to be alive during this moment in time as well. It's true. Uh, for a multitude of reasons, standard of living wise, but the opportunity to affect positive change mm-hmm. in the year 2020 and 2021 and the resulting decade from now is exciting. Yeah. You know? Feels like we're at a point for sure. We're at a tipping point, yep. if you will. Yeah. Some people don't like that term, but. Yeah. Well, fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and it may, the tipping point might be this decade or this century. You know, it might feel like this. We're at a tipping point for the next hundred years, but just what are you tipping to? Mm-hmm. Like well, you're tipping to something that could be just more destructive or just more like incompatible with nature. Incompatible with what we're doing. Yeah. That would that's that's a good way to think about it. I think you know. Yeah, and um, forever there was this like fear mongering of like, oh, the world's gonna end with climate change. Well, the world is gonna be fine. Oh yeah. Life is gonna be fine. We're in the middle of a sixth math ex- sixth mass extinction event because of human human caused climate change and how we are affecting the entire globe. Well, all those species were gonna die anyway. Alright, cynically, they were doomed the day they were born. Yeah. All life inherently is. But if we want our life to thrive, our species to thrive, then it has to be definitionally sustainable. We, I mean, I don't have to go through the analogy of like a bathtub that's got a hole in it and you're trying to fill it up. Like it speaks for itself, or eventually you run out of water, mm-hmm. and I just I feel so strongly that my generation has the responsibility to be the 
generation like you know you've got the greatest generation that fought world war ii we got to be an even greater generation yeah because we're fighting nature and capitalism fighting not yeah i don't know i don't think we're fighting nature i think that we're fighting ourselves fighting ourselves much more we That's have hard. to live with nature no matter what yeah we don't want to fight nature you know which under which like unfortunately a lot of even really well-intentioned people are framing things as like the fight against climate change it's like a wartime thing i think we need to mobilize like it's wartime but it doesn't need to be war against these things like you know it's well, more just like, no, we need to embrace the natural process that exists and stop screwing with it. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> you know? a, that's a much healthier way to think about yeah. it. But in terms of spreading the message, there's not much more, there's not, there are not many more terms much more jarring than war. Than like wartime stuff. Because we all know, and none of us have experienced war to the extent that previous generations have but right um war is a universally accepted term where the untouched african tribes knew what war is and mm. the europeans in 1800s knew what war was mm. and it's just, you know what war is mm. and your society might treat it differently or look at it slightly differently but it's my team or your team. And in this, if you want to extrapolate a wartime metaphor to climate change, my team is the team, and I hate declaring myself on a team, on teams, mm -hmm. because I disagree with the concept as a whole. But to stick with the metaphor, my team is the team of humans that are environmentally conscious and focused and care about how we are living our lives on this earth and we're fighting people that do not share those same values and they're the ones with power and we're the ones without power now collectively if you just polled every human in an objective manner and gave them like a percentage scale of how much they care about climate change or not climate change, but just the natural ecosystem that they live in. You know, for us, it's the mountains and Grand Lake and the Colorado River and all these great places in Baja, California. It's mm. the the Sur or, or whatever you want to extrapolate to. And that's what we can... So the the percentage scale is, I mean, I gotta say it's over two thirds. Um, it's got, I think if seventy percent. You mean you mean asking people like to about, a, like what degree to um, what to what degree do you um, value nature? I think it's got it's a hundred percent. I mean, it probably is. It is, but just the systems in place and like the momentum of the industrial revolution mm -hmm. and just all this, you know. Yeah. The, the whole machine and like yeah. the cycle of just how the, our society just keeps chugging along yeah. keeps people from being able to behave and act in a way that aligns with that care for nature mm -hmm. uh, you know yeah I mean if we were to like 
I've been I've been like joking around and like in my own head and like with some friends like if I could just audit the American government I could figure it out mm. I could fix the whole government if I could just audit it if I just knew where all the money was going yeah. and why it was going this place I could be like that's really stupid and wasteful <laughs> you're terrible at your job you over here from <clears throat> some Italian dude I want you to come run this because you're going to do a better job than anybody else or you know like mm-hmm. but Obama dec- um, described this the American machine as you said the American government as this giant ship yeah and it takes it's moving a long really time slowly, to steer yeah and it takes a long time to steer but yeah. we need to pull a 180 on this bitch yeah <laughs> we really do and I don't think that the 1% increments over time is necessarily the only metric for change because things can change overnight. Yeah. And you can't they predict were, And it. they are. They are. You can't, they but are. it's not something you can predict. With mm-hmm. the 1% change, you can kind of like try and assert your will towards the direction of human civilization. Mm. Right? And... I don't know where we're gonna go with this, but we gotta we gotta go the other way, and you know people can people can read all the books they want, and they can go to all the they can uh, donate to all the causes that they want, but like on some level it just feels like the one individual is completely worthless in this attempt to turn the entire ship 180 degrees you know mm. i mean i think that i live on a on a like i th- i think and feel on a level where all individual choices even even just inside your own mind or in your own day actually affect greater things than you could ever anticipate you in know a, in a karmic fashion sure karmic but also maybe in a physical fashion like what choices that that are you going to make today that are going to ripple through time to your your future self well i mean what kind of what's that going to look like the butterfly effect and karma that's what what you just said it's describing the same thing yeah totally you know so i i think that so i think it is worth i think that it is it is worth making individual efforts even if even if no one else notices, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'll bring another Chesney so, lesson from mm-hmm. from uh, from my college days. Is uh, he did a tour of all the best football programs in the country, from high school to NFL, before he got his head coaching job. And the whole point of this nationwide tour was, why are you great? And he didn't go to any of the bad teams because he didn't want to, like dilute it but one of the big takeaways that he took was the coaches are bought in and the players are bought in and the administrators are bought in and the alumni is bought in Mm -hmm. and the professors are bought in and the cooks are bought in Mm -hmm. and the janitors are bought in and the parents are bought in and the community around the stadium all the people that go to the games for 20 years whatever they're bought in right so it takes the collective will of everybody moving towards one unified goal with as little 
resistance as possible to win and to be great. And once you win, then you win again, and then you win again, and then you compound these successive successes, build your confidence, etc. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways to build on that when you start from scratch is to, as a player, because it has to be from the player, you have to make the community and all these all those things that I listed as the person in the program, you have to be the one who starts the care and the buy-in. You yeah. have to be the one to get people to buy in. Yeah. So if you're a janitor, and this is an example he always used, if you're a janitor and every single night after football comes back and you got to clean the building, the facilities, there's just a complete shit show. It's a mess. Yeah. Trash is everywhere. Nobody cares about anything. All of that work is left on to you. So now you're going to bed at 1 a.m. instead of 10, 10 o'clock because you had to stay at work late to clean up after the messy football players. Well, if every single football player picked up one piece of trash, how much easier is the janitor's job? How much less work is he going to have to do to make up for your mess? And in high school football, which is I – was, I was very fortunate to be a part of great high school program before I went into a college. So I, I had the kind of background knowledge of like what greatness is supposed to be like, right? And the rule that we always had to follow, no matter what, was every time we come home from a trip, the bus is cleaner than when we got there. Mm. We're going to leave the bus cleaner than it was before we got there. Mm-hmm. And that sets a standard of, Oh, the bus driver really likes taking the NC football team to Laramie for the game. They so they're bought in. So the bus drivers bought in. Yeah. And I just put that connection together now. Mm, but yeah, all the bus drivers love to take us. It's a great job for them. Exactly. Yeah, Instead of yeah, a terrible are, job. Yeah. Right. So then now they're just positive energy mm-hmm. is focused on you. Instead of man, I wish these guys failed. I wish yeah. they like. I wish they suck because I. Yeah. I, you you feel spiteful because they screwed you over when they didn't have to. They're just lazy. Yeah. So you go through that tiny little bit to do the extra, and you reap the benefits of that because if ninety players on a football team were doing that tiny little bit, that's a whole extra player on the football team, in value that you gained. Mm-hmm. So you're now you're now it's twelve v eleven on the field. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah, so that, I don't remember where I started with this whole thing, but that's just a huge lesson that I pulled from colleges, um, and specifically Chesney and, and his culture, uh, is do, do all the little things right and for other people, and you just have a better outcome at the end of the day. I don't know. Yeah. Part of my life philosophy that I've been developing is optimize optimize my life and that little extra bit of kindness that you didn't have to extend is putting money in the bank for when you need to exchange it later that's true and that's definitely true i'll shut up now yeah i mean i think that you spun off of like you know personal choices and like butterfly effect and like sure and then you yeah related it into like yeah you can you can you can you can win you can win football games with that kind of thinking. Yeah. You related it into yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's 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 what I was trying to get to is that, yeah. you know when you 
got all these people bought in, all these people going a little bit extra, then that little bit that you just, uh, I'm going to, in the gym, you know, we're, we're weightlifting and you could go two more reps, but your workout sheet only says 10 reps. Mm. Fuck, fuck that. I'm going 12. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And then soon enough, you're, you're hitting 16 reps. You didn't even know. Yeah. And you got stronger because of it. So the gym is a really tangible way to see the benefits of that little extra effort. Yeah. But it shows in many other aspects of life. Yeah. When I'm doing, when I'm working out, I don't count. Okay. I just go by feel. Okay. You know? But then how do you know what, so, I like that. Yeah. But you got to know what is not enough. Because my thing is like, if I go by yeah. feel, I'll be like, oh, okay, I'm kind of tired. But like, nah, you got to keep going. And if I'm doing like Russian twists with the medicine ball, uh-huh. I think that's a really good thing. I like good, that. I love uh, that. Exercise yeah, to like. Is go until you can't go anymore so that's kind of like uh you're kind of on your sacrum Mm -hmm. and like yeah okay touch the ball on either side of the ground yeah yeah i like that so you that's true you should go until your technique is about to fall apart Mm -hmm. but you shouldn't really start counting anything until you're like starting to struggle maybe so if you Mm -hmm. can do back and forth for you know five ten on each side or whatever and you're just good None of those really count because mm-hmm. that's all within your comfort zone. Comfort zone. When you start being like, oh, "All right, now I'm I'm really paying attention now. This is burning." That's mm-hmm. when it starts to count. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. You know, <laughs> I uh, I was working out for a while there, but I things kind of happen and like you just get out of it. Like I was, I was like mandatorily a gym rat for yeah eight years yeah you know and then that falls off and you're like i didn't go into the gym for a year after i no it's not true in jan in like february of my senior year i went to the basement in my apartment building in college and worked out but once i had left college in the pandemic i like worked out a little bit with my sister i did yoga a lot during Mm -hmm. the pandemic Mm -hmm. just uh this was such a fun little ritual um my sister did this My Peak Challenge thing. So it was like a 28-day pandemic workout challenge mm. for wine moms. Nice. And once a week, they had a yoga thing. So it compounded. So like day four's yoga, 11, and so on. So the last yoga session is progressively the most challenging. So I, I bookmarked that yoga page, and I just did that one yoga session like three days, four days a week for – a month and a half or so nice and it was fun because i got to i would do it at night after everyone had gone to bed because mm. my sister-in-law sister and brother-in-law had a baby so they were up at six every day so they're going to bed at 10 or whatever so i'm a college kid i'm just hanging out <laughs> and i got a space in my room for for the floor and i just put the yoga mat out and did it it was like pitch black except the screen and, uh, man, I miss yoga. I, I got out of it for a while and I haven't gotten back into it, man. I miss it's it. It's a practice. It's a practice. It's a practice, yeah. Just like meditation. Yeah. I've been, um, pretty consistent. Yoga has been my main form of exercise, keeping tuned sure. over the last four or six months at least. Right now I'm doing it every morning, half hour, an hour. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I would love, I, I, feels morning, good. Morning is a, 
you live by a lake, dude. Like, I would jump in that every single yeah, morning. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Every I, morning. I do cold shower. I don't always get in the lake. The thing is, is because of the fire here, the water has been interesting a couple times. Like, flush with who knows what's coming down the river. All oh. kinds of debris, debris, ash. You know, it, during the peak runoff, there was some foaming stuff going on, which I think is probably from, like, fire retardant that was sprayed. I mean, I still jump in, and it feels fine, and I trust yeah. it, but it's been, you know, it's un- unfortunately because of all that runoff coming in. Wow. There's been times where I'm just like, yeah, I'm not getting in the lake right now because it's just like there's so much stuff in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the lake is, Crazy. is it warmer than it was last summer? Um, I don't know exactly, but it's quite warm right now. Yeah, I'm not struggling at all. It's quite warm. It's pretty like, warm. I went to the creek by my place uh, in Fraser, and normally that's my spot for a cold, mm-hmm. cold ice bath. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once you got over that hump of like, okay, I'm getting in, and then you get in, you're like, you sit down and get your spot, and you're like, this is not that bad. Like, yeah, you don't have to go through the... I don't have to like... Yeah, you don't have to get it. I don't. Have, I didn't have to struggle. <laughs> it wasn't... It wasn't difficult. For yeah, me. there's and no struggle right it's now. It's disappointing. Here. Yeah, because that's the whole point of, <laughs> of ice baths, really. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. mental struggle and the, the physical lactic acid runoff. Um, shit. Yeah. We're but, gonna have to do another hike soon. Oh, Because I haven't done that. Yeah. 14er. You down for that? Oh some yeah, point? absolutely. Cool. I need to. I want to do more 14ers. Or there's some great 13ers around, which you. Which, Either way. Which you're almost. I've done more of because the 14ers are very popular. You're going to be on the trail with people. Yeah. If you go to a little less, lesser known peak that is just like below the 14,000 range, you know, because those are so desirable, um, you, you're going to be alone the whole time. Yeah. You know, that's a cool thing. Yeah. I yeah. definitely uh Hey, here's that. something. I'm, I'll tell you off the podcast, but okay. I got something to put on your calendar for this coming weekend. So this weekend, I also have something. Okay. Uh, I've started doing, uh, I skied last, I skied last week uh-huh. for the first time in the summer and the first hike up, um, out of bounds skiing that I'd ever done at St. Mary's Alice. Mm-hmm. And this weekend we're getting a bunch of skiers and some friends of mine up and doing like a day of it to do like three or four laps and jump in the little tiny lake that's up there. At St. Mary's? Yeah, at St. Mary's. So I'm going to be doing a lot of hiking and skiing uh, this weekend. All right. I'm going to I'm gonna bring it up right now because okay. this is good shit. So yeah. there's a tradition. It's been going for over 50 years. And on Mount Epworth, which is across, which is on the front range, but accessed from just across from Winter Park Ski Resort. It's one of the mountains up there. Right on the divide. Mm-hmm. Mount Epworth, there is a glacier up there. Okay. And for over 50 years, I don't know exactly what the how many it's been going. Um, close to 60 probably. There's the Epworth Cup every summer. And it's always the weekend after the 4th of July. And it's a ski race. And it's on a glacier that you can... And you have to have like a good vehicle and drive way up to the mountain. And it's a camp. It's usually a camp out Saturday night. And kind of set up and party and hang and meet. And then you submit your team and there's a ski race on Sunday morning on the glacier. Wow. And this is like one of the coolest, like, 
core Colorado events there is, but you'll never see an advertisement. There's no mark. It's I, nothing. It shouldn't be. It's totally, it's all word totally underground. Yeah. So I can't make it this summer, but <laughs> next summer. Put it on your calendar. That's on the calendar. It's pretty sure. cool. For sure. It's a pretty cool thing. Hell yeah, man. Um, well, <laughs> we're, I don't want to keep, I don't want to keep this too long, but one thing that I wanted to ask you about was, and this might be a long subject, yeah. so take it however you will, but, mm-hmm. um, and I, this isn't the core point, but it's a piece of evidence that leads me to the question is your outlook on the COVID vaccine. You openly, you didn't. Um, I remember this. You didn't when we were when we first ran into each other after the months off. We were at CJ's house, and just kind of chilling at the fireplace. And you're like, "So what are your what's your take on the COVID vaccine?" And you actively asked the question, and then you gave your answer after everybody else had. I've chosen not to take the COVID vaccine because I want to keep my body in a more naturally supplemented fashion etc mm-hmm. but like so i'm not asking about the COVID thing whatever why where did you come to how did you come to the conclusion that like this is how i want to live my life and maintain my body throughout my life mm. why why do you have this um forcible nature focused perspective on your body and your place in this world and the spirit world and etc because you're a very spiritual dude mm. and i appreciate about you and that's one of the things that drew me towards you is your your this specific aspect of your life mm. so lay it on me so what brought me to that yeah like how, what's the what, what has this been this journey been like yeah to that get trajectory from a to yeah B and... i mean there's been several pivot points i think that have spun me into where i'm at now um on multiple different levels which i think are all some of the important pieces of the pie that like help me lead a life like that's more holistic you know and and to consider spirituality something that's important that to to continue down that path you know um i think without even knowing it you know growing up where i grew up here like in the presence of like just beautiful landscapes and mountains you know probably instilled just kind of a sense of like being humble with the landscape around you you know like living growing up as a kid and living through winters up here in the mountains and not having much of an idea of any alternative like you were just out of your comfort zone all winter long yeah you know yeah no i and definitely the, relate to that yeah and in the pres in the presence of great mountain big storms and mountains and really cold temperatures and you're just like you're just like put in your place over and over <laughs> you know yeah you know yeah and um so i think that that's kind of like a little bit of the background um but to bring some different pieces into it um Let's see, probably, you know, one of the, one of the first few big spiritual experiences I had was probably like with my group of friends that I had through high school, which was like a very, um, I'd say like a very beautiful group of people, very individual as well. Um, we were all quite good students, but we were all quite, um, rebellious at the same time, 
Yeah, it's, it's a good combination to yeah. have because you've got the, the discipline and the book smarts to stay on top of your school. But yeah. You're not boring. Yeah, we were. I mean, we were. It, it allowed us freedom, yeah. you know, even within the school atmosphere because we would push things and get away with things. But if anyone had an issue with it, we'd be like, well, you know, what's our, what's my GPA? It's good. It's good to go. Yeah, you know? So. <laughs> so we're really, so I'm doing, I'm doing the program, you know? Yeah. But anyway, you know, we used to go, I, I, this, this is something that I look back on that I didn't realize at the moment had such an, an impact, but we used to, you know, a group of five to 15 of us or whatever, um, would go see a lot of live music and we would go and we would spend a lot of times outdoors camping. And we also started to experiment with psychedelics, like at the age of, you know, 15 to 18. And we had a lot of very intentional and beautiful experiences together that at the time we thought we were just kind of, we were just exploring because we wanted to just change our state of mind as teenagers do, you know? Um, but I don't think we fully realized how much of a initiation we were getting into like consciousness, you know? Yeah. So we would go to, um, we would go to Red Rocks several times a summer for, to see bands that we loved. And we somehow had a good, had a good, you know, source for like mushrooms or for maybe MDMA. And we would take it pretty intentionally you know, we didn't really think much of ourselves, you know, um, but we would take it pretty intentionally. We weren't really there to party. We were just there to just have a good time together. Mm -hmm. And without knowing it, we had a, some really peak experiences that I think um, certainly, certainly um, influenced me on like really deep levels, you know. Being, being with a group of people that you love in a beautiful place, like celebrating was like a massive rite yeah. of passage to where, I mean, I remember times, you know, junior, senior year in high school where we would come back after, you know, exploring for the weekend and just be so full of love that it was like tears in your eyes for like a month, like mm -hmm. around your friends, just like super tight yeah you know and i'm like have tears coming to my eyes almost right now thinking of it um so like these amount these levels of love and gratitude and just like knowing that everything was like good and like we're held in the bigger realm of things i had that experience young the <laughs> um can you elaborate more on that experience you described that of being kind of um, I think it's like we carry a lot of weight every day, you know, like the struggle of being a human. There's yeah. a lot of weight that you're, we're carrying that we don't really know we are carrying until it, until something will help you set it down. And when you have that experience of it being set down, you're just like, oh, this is yeah. fine. And I remember just looking around at my friends and just being like, all the stuff that we're dealing with, it's fine. It's good. We're fine. You know, like we're going to take care of each other. We're like, we're lucky. Mm -hmm. Like we're alive and it's, things are vibrant and beautiful, you know? Yeah. So do you think that psychedelics played a big or small role in the 
experience as a whole that you're describing and the specific example that you just brought up. So the mm-hmm. friendship community mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you fostered for years and the individual thing you just described of this release. Um, I think that we were, we happened to just hit it right. Like the community and the love existed without it. Yes. Without any psychedelics. It exists without any substance. Yeah, it's, it, exists. it exists. It's there. It's there. <clears throat> it's there. And it's it there. was there. And I think that just because for whatever reason we had the, we were humble enough. Maybe it was from just being in the mountains and having, and just taking things a little bit seriously, you know? And slower too. And slower. That's definitely sure. a difference between mountain culture and city culture. Sure. So we had that. And I think just having that little bit of amount of respect towards the experiences that we were going to go into, we, that allowed us, that allowed those, um, that allowed the plants to do their work basically, Mm -hmm. you know, is, is that respect a vital piece of what you went through or, um, is that respect, um, does that extrapolate to the plant? Is that something that you felt more with respecting the love that exists in the mountains and the setting? Or are you referring to respecting the plant in a more specific targeted way? Um, and does that respect, is it is that respect important? Not necessarily necessary, but important to get the desired results from these psychedelics yeah i think it is definitely but i don't think you're you're gonna you're gonna have an experience but it may not be the one that will allow you to set down all the weight that you're carrying you're still going to be holding on to you might still you might have a great time and you might have some clarity um but to get that full weight to release i think that you have to have some intention and respect coming into it, which I think at that time in my life, we were, we were trying, we were approaching almost everything like that. Cause I think we were, you're going through a lot at that time of life. Yeah. You know, you're about to launch into the world out of high school or whatever. So, yeah. So that's one aspect. Okay. Um, I'm going to move on to the next thing, which is going to be, um, more like more like taking care of your physical body and I think the first time first couple times when I ever felt like in shape was after I started paddling in whitewater swimming a lot in whitewater being very 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 physical and I like was in I I felt like an athlete for the first time you know even though I've been snowboarding and I played football and I ran track and all this stuff through school I never really felt like an athlete. It always felt like kind of a struggle. But once I started getting into whitewater and the kind of like physical um, power that you need ultimately to be in that environment and to take care of yourself, I felt like I I got in shape for the first time. And I knew what that felt like. And that was like, a oh, wow, like my body, my body can feel like this. I can be this strong and this flexible, you know? and so that was like the fit that was part of the physical end of things yeah. and because of getting into that paddling culture 
um, especially stand-up paddling when it was starting to get popular connected to that on both sides is yoga and also because there's more women who get into stand-up paddling especially when it was starting than men by far you know nice by far much more women do that sport because they're a little bit more like a lot of guys look at it like ah this is kind of lame I don't really want to try it I might fall off or they want to go to they want to take the more physical types of sports yeah like, they're like it's kind of mountain bike sure totally exactly and so that was that left the few of us guys who are getting into paddleboarding with just a lot of beautiful women around which was which great and inspiring helps. and some of them including you know uh, my ex girlfriend Lita and um, another great friend that I'll mention, um, Lindsay Gonzalez, who are both of them are, I met through stand up paddling through that scene and they were both yogis and they both like were huge influences on me and to, to begin a yoga practice. Yeah. That's huge. I, I feel <laughs> like I'm waiting for that person to come in my life to yeah. like get me, push yeah, yeah, me yeah. over the edge to like, I've already done a bunch of yoga. Yeah. I already love it. It's just, I haven't done it in months and it's just like taking the first step of like any habit that you want to build. Yeah. You know, you're, yeah. Yeah. It's a practice that it really is. But what it's taught me after, if you can like get through the, if you can practice consistently for six months or something, or, or maybe try to go to a studio where you have a little bit of a community where you're showing up pretty consistently what it taught me was just to take care of my body. Yeah. So I can do, I can not do any um, structured yoga for months, which has happened. But because I went through that initial process of just learning how to just get on the ground and just work stuff out, yeah. you know, like I can do whatever. And if I'm feeling imbalanced, I, all I need is just a space on the flat ground as big as a yoga mat, you know. And I can get on the ground and I can take care of myself. I can take myself yeah. to the shop, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Seriously. And that's it. You're just like, I'm not feeling right. I need to get on the floor. For sure. That's what it is. I've, I've, I've like seen that mm -hmm. in myself. Um, and part of my own journey right now is I'm trying to fix my body mm -hmm. where my shoulders caving in. And my left patella tendon is disintegrating. So my left shoulder and knee are terrible. Mm. And I'm going to need to get, I don't know, but I'm not 100%. Yeah. And I haven't been 100% for over two years now. And it's really taxing. And part of the focus for this summer is to really dive in in my body and trying to fix my shoulder and at least at the very least my shoulder without surgery mm. but my knee is structurally damaged mm -hmm. so it's tougher but um yeah i mean i that's one of my favorite aspects about yoga is during that pandemic stretch for three four months with my sister i kind of and this is post football like less than six months post football right so now i'm finally examining who i am and my physical body outside of a football weight room mm -hmm. chart you know where i had to have these numbers well, 
I didn't have to have these like my numbers at a certain level because I was a kicker, but you're judged on your strength and your athleticism by your numbers in the gym. What's mm-hmm. your forty time? What's your mm-hmm. vertical jump time? What's your bench and squat max? You know. So those are the metrics that I measured strength and health by, not the polar opposite of that in terms of a physical exercise which would be yoga and we did do some yoga in college but Mm -hmm. um you know i was i kind i was able to like for the first time in my life i noticed holy shit my shoulders just like caving in i don't know why but like to picture yeah like two flat hands faced out and take your left hand and point your fingers towards it while keeping your your hand flat those are my scaps Mm. on my shoulder blades so my right shoulder blade is good. My left shoulder blade is angled forward, which has created all these muscles around my shoulder to work 100% of the time. My right shoulder has the capability of relaxing. My left does not. So no matter what I do, I can't relax the muscles on my shoulder. And because of that, they knot up and they get tighter and stronger, I guess, but they're, and they're bigger. Like they're my left not. pec is like a boob and my right pec is like a normal dude boob. It's because it's connected, you know? Yeah, so this is like my left shoulder is pulling down so my left pec is contracted yep. the whole time, you know? So I'm trying to, I'm all constantly wringing out this knot I got in my pec and I'm just I'm trying yeah. to work on myself. So yeah. yoga just needs to be a part of that. Yeah, and maybe a good body worker. Yeah, I need acupuncture. Massage. I really want to try. And get, yeah. yeah, I need to find somebody. Yep. Anyways, so I'm gonna I'll I'll wrap up with a two I think two points. Um, you know, my diet I think was massively influenced by the time that I spent in Hawaii. Um, I lived there for about a year on the Big Island, and uh, my girlfriend and I at the time were living there, coming from Colorado. And you, once you, if you, once you live on an island like that, you realize how much stuff is like shipped in, you know? Yeah. So we couldn't really go to the grocery store and buy a lot of the normal stuff that we were before because it's very expensive. So you can't afford that. So you look and you say, well, what can we eat? And then you say, oh, well, all the food that's grown right here on the island, that's what's affordable. So that switched, that like was a huge awakening where I was just went from stuff that was bought in the store and eating reasonable to eating like all organic produce that was grown like 500 yards from where we lived. That was huge. That's pretty sick. That made me feel alive and I was like, oh, okay, this is the program I need to be on, you know? Yeah. Um, so that, that was that was kind of an influence on that side. And I think diet is super important, you know? I've been noticing if I start to feel, if I feel like I'm going into, de- into a depression or something, like there's a 50% chance that it may have just been what I've been eating for the last week or two. Wow. It's crazy. You know, I, food, the food that you eat affects your I mean, mood it makes and everything. so much sense. It really does. I mean, you, you are what you eat yep. is the classic saying. Yep. You know? Yep. And the last point? The last point, um, let's see. This is kind of more just my spiritual outlook and my experience in the world and my experience in nature it comes from a couple things um 
some of the beautiful places that I've been able to spend time in. Um, one of them being out in Dinosaur National Monument in northwest Colorado, where there's a couple deep river canyons and geologic time scales of a hundred hundreds of millions of years that you can see in the rock formations as you travel down through these rivers, mm-hmm. through the canyons. And just seeing time spread out in front of your eyes and just paused. Because it's all this, you know, the earth is alive and moving and changing. But we, but in this specific place in these canyons, you can see all this time just like on pause. And you can see, and you can see how much has changed, you know. And it makes you feel like the l- small amount of time that we have here is actually pretty insignificant compared to the overall scale of things, you know. Also, studying some astronomy in college helped with this perspective of how small are we. You know, for example, I don't have the equation, I can't tell you, but if I got out of my astronomy book, there is a mathematical equation that measures approximately all the grains of sand on Earth, on all the beaches. So they take this square surface area of all the beaches on Earth, measure approximately how deep the sand goes, and calculate how many grains of sand is in all that some like insane number Mm -hmm. from what we can observe in the universe there's probably a similar amount of stars oh more stars or or much more that's kind of what we can observe right yeah Yeah. so if when i'm at the beach i do this almost every time i'm near sand i pick it up in my hand and i let it fall out of my hand like you know a little, stre- little stream like an hourglass of grains of sand and you go those are all just stars wow and you go we're just on this little spaceship like out in you know the middle of nowhere in some galaxy yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. so those kind of like those kind of perspectives of just somehow wrapping my head around how much time there is and how big the universe is and how like the process of earth how slow it's going compared to what my experience is that makes me feel just like that i'm living in a painting that's being painted at a really slow pace imagine the most beautiful painting you've ever seen of all the you know like the rocky mountains covered in snow with pine trees glistening in the sunshine or like you know, um, a beautiful sunset on the West coast with like perfect waves rolling in with like sunlight coming through the back of them, like making them glow. You know, this is a painting that's being painted at a really slow pace of millions of years. And we're just living in it and we're just able to run around and just poke around and do stuff (laughs) in the middle of this beautiful painting. That's essentially what we're, you know, that's what we're doing, you know? So between, between having like the inward journey of, you know, like feeling the love and the gratitude that you just like, you know, is more real than anything you've ever felt before, um, which I had in high school and I continue to have to this day in different ways. Um, not, not assisted with psychedelics, but just in regular existence between that and also feeling like what the temple of my body is like from getting in shape, doing, staying active like having a yoga practice or picking up some something that keeps you active and also getting your diet in line, like eating good food from the earth, 
and then also just having that uh, experience of time on a grander scale that I can some somehow on little levels integrate into my daily life just like looking at the place you live or watching the sunrise and just being like I'm in this painting and it's awesome you know those are those, those are today anyway which is what July 8th 2021 those are kind of like what I can think of as like the cornerstones of my Your identity yeah my identity a little bit wow that yeah. was beautiful yeah and then I get to you know spend time with people like you and and many other awesome friends and it's just it's a good thing yeah well Bradley thank you so much I missed you yeah. I'm super grateful to have you in my life now you're someone that I can grow from and those are the people that I look to seek in my life and you are a really cool dude and I just I appreciate you buddy so thanks, thanks for sitting down and doing this with me again and until the next one yeah All cheers right. appreciate it of course peace peace thanks for staying with us for the whole show today's wisdom drop is a slight deviation from previous episodes the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change just released their latest report. I've been slowly working my way through the 159 pages, and the one piece I wanted to share so far is this. The last time our climate warmed 1 degree Celsius, it took 900 years. We've done just that in only 65.